Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. An analysis by The Athletic has found that this winter was the biggest window for player sales by MLS clubs ever. The man who did the analysis, Sam Stasekul, is here to talk about it. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Thursday, February 10th. But first, your TV guide for today, and as always, all times are Eastern. We have a couple good Premier League games today, both kicking off at 2.45 p.m. Liverpool versus Leicester City is on USA Network, and Wolves versus Arsenal is on Peacock. It's also a big day for cup competitions across Europe, in Spain and the Copa del Rey. At 3.30 p.m., Athletic Bilbao versus Valencia, that's on ESPN+. At 3 p.m., in the Coupe de France... Nantes versus Bastia, that's on BN Sports. And then two games in the Coppa Italia at 12 p.m. noon Eastern, Atalanta versus Fiorentina on Paramount Plus. And then at 3 p.m., Juventus versus Sassuolo, also on Paramount Plus. I should also say, I'm not going to list individual games, but it's the opening night, opening day for the Argentine Primera Division. They have two windows of games, uh, two games at a time in each of these windows at 5.15 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. All of those are on Paramount+. And the Argentine League is definitely worth watching. It's a good one to catch from the beginning if you can. That takes place tonight. With that said, let's move on to some MLS talk with Sam Stayskull. Okay, I have Sam Stayskull with me, and Sam, you have just done a big sort of look at all of the outgoing transfers from MLS uh, to Europe and elsewhere uh, this past window, of which there have been many, and from which you've drawn many interesting conclusions. There's a whole story about it on The Athletic, which will be linked in the show's description. But before we get to any of that, I want to ask you about a player that's technically coming back to MLS, even though he hasn't uh, ever officially left. I'm, of course, rec- uh, referring to Caden Clark from the New York Red Bulls, who was sold to their sister club, Red Bull Leipzig, in the Bundesliga, but is now being loaned back to the New York Red Bulls, but not before a very MLSE. Uh, series of trades. Can you explain what needed to happen here in order for Caden Clark to come back to the team that he was already on last year? Well, well I can try. And this might take up the entire show. because <laughs> so, so, so buckle up. Um, so just to give a little bit of background, Caden Clark was initially signed by the New York Red Bulls as a homegrown player after they acquired his homegrown rights from Minnesota for X amount of allocation dollars that I cannot remember. He made his pro debut for the team late in 2020, uh, scored a couple of goals right off the bat, continued on in 2021. um, And as I believe Paul Tenorio and Jeff Ruder and I reported sometime around this time last year, there was a deal struck 
maybe there was a promise made before he joined the Red Bulls Academy uh, <laughs> yeah. that there was a deal struck with, with Leipzig. And that was officially announced in June that he was going to be going over there in January 2022. Um, the deal was not kind of, uh, you know, made official until January. So they had agreed upon it, but the registration didn't happen until January. So he just stayed with New York and he didn't have to be loaned back to the Red Bulls. That's an important detail in this story. Remember Okay. <laughs> All right. So I was, so what you're saying is I was totally wrong in the intro when I said that he was coming back well, to New York. Well, no, he sort of was, right? So, <laughs> so, so he goes, you know, so January rolls around and, and he had some injury issues last year. He had appendicitis. I believe he had to have his appendix removed and that kind of derailed his season. He was supposed to be joining a Leipzig team that had an American coach and Jesse Marsh. Uh, most listeners of this show will know that Jesse Marsh is no longer the coach of Leipzig. Um, so they, he, you know, the club determined that they didn't want him at this point in time or that he needed more seasoning in MLS before he goes over to the Bundesliga. And so they're like, okay, cool. We'll loan him back to New York. Well, not so fast. His transfer fee was over the threshold, which I think is just $500,000, uh, that requires a player coming back to MLS to go through the, what is called the allocation process. Um, to rejoin the league. So they can't just loan him back. That He has to be loaned back and then gone through the allocation order of which the Red Bulls were pretty far back in. And so in order to get Caden Clark on New York, in order to get their own player back, they had to move up in the allocation order. And that became a little bit complicated. So they ended up sending $575,000 in allocation money to Toronto for the number two spot in the allocation order. They then sent $100,000 in allocation money to Cincinnati for the number one spot in the allocation order. Toronto moved back, I think, to like 14. Cincinnati moved back to two, right? So New York is at one. Cincinnati is at two. New York uses their spot in the allocation order to reacquire a player that they already had. And Cincinnati leaves $100,000 richer and slides right back into the number one spot <laughs> in the allocation order. Um, a couple of other details with this. Caden Clark's contract with Leipzig was in, was extended as part of this move. It's a year-long loan um, with the option to extend after the 2022 season for okay. New York. Um, so he might not be moving to Germany or Austria, I, I suppose, potentially the other club in the Red Bull family. Right. Even in 2023, he could stay in New York an additional amount of time also toronto sent new york an international slot as well as that um allocation ranking order position in exchange for the five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in allocation money so yeah that makes sense oh. clear as day right oh yeah very clear makes okay, makes cool. total sense to me uh I definitely didn't need a, a glossary or a, thes- a thesaurus or something in, in front of me to, <laughs> to work through all of that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Uh, one, I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but I do have one question related to this. It's like between the 575,000 that uh, Red Bulls sent to Toronto and the 100,000 they sent to Cincinnati, that's, you know, 675,000 in general allocation money mm-hmm. overall that they spent to get their own player back. 675,000. And an international slot. And an international slot. Which have been trading for about 250. But speaking, so. but speaking just in terms of the general allocation money, I feel like not that long ago, $675,000 in general allocation money would have been a pretty significant amount to outlay for any player. You know, usually that would be a player maybe on some other MLS team that has already done well or that really fits your system or whatever. Just this year, we've seen figures like 2 million allocation, 1.5. We've seen like yeah. all these sort of different deals go on. What is happening to allocation money? Why is why are these huge deals for like what ha- would have in previous years been considered huge sums? Why yeah. are they happening more often now? And why are teams more willing to part with that money? A few different reasons. For one, uh, targeted allocation money is being folded into general allocation money. And that's part right. of the CBA. Okay. And there's a, there's a whole kind of staircase that that you can look at on various web pages on the internet that outline all of that information. So that's one, there's more game in the system. Um, For another, a lot, and and this goes, this is a nice little segue into the the other part of our conversation, Alex, but players, when players get sold, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, you can convert up to $1 million of their fee into general allocation money. So, for instance, you mentioned, you referenced that $2 million trade. Dallas made that trade for Paul Areola. Dallas has tons of allocation money available because they sell more players than anybody else. So, they can take those fees. They can say, okay, Ricardo Pepe, you went to Augsburg for $18 million. We're going to take $1 million of that and make a GAM. Tanner Tessman, you went to Venezia for $4 million. We're going to take $1 million of that and make a GAM. Oh, here, DC United. Here's $2 million in allocation money from those two sales alone. They've sold yeah. more players than that. They get GAM from the league that every other team gets, right? And we can make this trade. So so I think it's a combination of those two things that's really kind of driving this rapid inflation that we've seen in the market. And, and I don't know, Mr. Editor, maybe I can go deeper on that in the story next week. Maybe you can. And something tells me that you will. Uh, you mentioned, of course, the other part of our conversation and having to do with player sales. That is actually the reason I have you on the show today because of this uh, this analysis you just wrote for The Athletic about all of MLS's outgoing transfers, which it seems like this past offseason there have been a lot of them and a lot of notable ones uh, in particular. Of course, you mentioned Ricardo Pepe, Daryl DK uh, going to West Brom, Kevin Paredes going to Wolfsburg from DC United, Tejon Buchanan going to Bruges from New England Revolution, of course, Matt Turner still i think very randomly going to arsenal from new england revolution and there's of course m- not the most <laughs> not random the, not the most random going to arsenal <laughs> but i'm just going to stop it there so i don't just read off all these names um like i said you've done an analysis of some of these moves and you found some really interesting things what is what are sort of what's what are sort of the top line takeaways that you can uh offer us sure so first is that this is the busiest window in mls history um, with 16 sales and potentially counting. There are still some windows open in South America right. in particular where who knows, there might be a move or two left on the table. Um, so that's one. Um, another is the money, yeah. of course, right? I think by my count, five of the 11 richest transfers in MLS history, richest outgoing transfers were this window. And I think you mentioned all of them. Pepe, DK, Paredes, Buchanan, and Turner um, would be right. those five. Um, and then you have a few others that 
aren't chump change either, right? So I think you're looking at somewhere in the ballpark of at least 65 million in fees, just base, right? With the potential to earn more on some of these deals, depending on performance. So those are kind of the big takeaways. Another one is that, you know, this is, you know, is it's not just progress compared to past windows in MLS. It's, it's progress compared to, you know, other leagues around the world. And there are a few factors for that, but MLS stacks up pretty well in the January window, both in terms of number of players sold per team, right? Because MLS has a lot right. more teams than some of these leagues that I'm going to be mentioning in a sec. Um, and then players, you know, sold to clubs that compete in the biggest five leagues in Europe on a per team basis, right? And when you look at those numbers, the Swiss league is ahead of MLS in terms of big five, the Portuguese league, the Danish league. Um, but MLS is ahead of the Austrian league, the Belgian league, the Dutch league, uh, Liga MX, Brazil, Argentina, you know, these leagues that I think a lot of people would expect would be selling more players to these big time leagues. Um, MLS is actually doing a better job. Uh, and part of that is this is the off season for MLS. It's not the off season for a lot of these other leagues and they do a ton more business in the summertime. Um, but, but it's a positive step in a positive story for MLS. It's continued growth in this area. Is there like an aspect of this or a trend that this sort of reveals that surprised you as you looked at some of these numbers or that sort of came up that you thought, hey, people aren't talking about this and maybe they should be? Yeah. So I think one of the things is what I just mentioned in, in the comparisons to other leagues. But the other thing, and I mentioned this in the story, is this is starting to feel a little bit more repeatable. Mm -hmm. Right? So... Previously, kind of the most successful window for MLS was three winters ago, the winter of 2018-19. And that's when you saw Miguel Almiron move from Atlanta to Newcastle and Alfonso Davies go from Vancouver to Bayern Munich and Tyler Adams go from New York to Leipzig, um, trying to blaze a trail for Caden Clark, I guess, unsuccessfully. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, you look at those three players and, and those were kind of big definitional figures for MLS in terms of trying to become more of a seller. But they're also rare players, right? Miguel Almiron had one of the best two-year runs in the history of MLS with Atlanta. He was incredible. Alfonso Davies is a legitimate world-class player. Like, yeah. he doesn't grow on trees. And, and Tyler Adams maybe isn't quite at Davies' level, right? But he's still a guy who has captained the U.S. national team about half the time in qualifying this cycle. Yeah. Um, and is maybe, maybe the most important player on that team. Um, these are rare guys. And with all due respect to the crop of players that were sold this winter, they feel a lot less rare, right? You might not be able to replace Alfonso Davies. You can't really recreate him. Miguel on your own, I think we've seen it, right? <laughs> Plenty of teams have tried to recreate that in MLS. It hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, Tyler Adams, same sort of deal. But like, okay, recreating a Kevin Paredes, that seems more reasonable. A Tejan Buchanan, a Daryl DK, even a Ricardo Pepe. That seems like a thing that, that can be achieved. And the money, and we're only talking three years on, the money is almost as big for those guys as it was for Davies and for Amiron. Um, and so this feels different in that way. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how it develops, if it develops over the summer as the European leagues go into off-season mode and maybe start sniffing around MLS once again to see who is performing well. Sam, thanks so much for coming on and explaining uh, all of the many complicated aspects of, of MLS transfers uh, happening lately. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again about them soon. Yeah, maybe next year, same time. 
Let's make a date. <laughs> Let's do it. Once again, if you want to read Sam's analysis of outgoing MLS transfers, that story is linked in the show's description. You can also hear him talk about all sorts of MLS stuff, U.S. national team stuff on the podcast Allocation Disorder, which is available on its own feed on The Athletic ad-free. It's also available on the Total Soccer Show feed pretty much wherever you're listening right now. Elsewhere in soccer news, a group of U.S. Women's National Team members sent a letter to the U.S. Soccer Federation demanding the release of its findings into misconduct allegations against Rory Dames, the former head coach of the NWSL's Chicago Red Stars. The letter was sent one day after the Washington Post published a story detailing allegations of verbal and emotional abuse against Dames, most of which took place during his time coaching the Chicago Eclipse youth team. The letter read in part, quote, This is yet another instance where the willful inaction of the U.S. Soccer Federation's leadership jeopardized the health and safety of its players. Steph Young and I talked a little bit more about the Rory Dame story on yesterday's edition of this show. Also, Atlanta United has announced the signing of Tiago Almada, a 20-year-old Argentine youth international. It's a signing that was held up in part by Almada's involvement in an investigation by Argentine police into a sexual assault allegation. Almada was a person of interest in that case, and he's since been cleared. Felipe Cardenas has a Q&A on The Athletic about how the Atlanta United leadership vetted the player, which is linked in the show's description. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year's subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thanks so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.